Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Head in a Box. I'm your host, Kellen Watson. And I'm your host, Murphy. Today's guest is a very special one, multi-talented guy who I've known for about 10 years. Um, He's one of my favorite collaborators and musical wizards out there. Uh, Some of his credits you might be familiar with include he was the composer on Night House, Netflix's The Ritual, Hellraiser, and so many more. I'm happy to welcome to the show film composer, songwriter, producer, musician, and filmmaker, amongst many other titles, Ben Lovett. Thank you. Ben, I'm. I just had some. I want to kind of get everybody caught up here. Um, I'm just going to kind of walk through a little bit of your background, and feel free to jump in, or if I get any of this wrong, f- definitely correct me. But um, you're from rural Georgia. I've heard you say you grew up between the E and the O. <laughs> yeah, so right, um, right there in the middle. Right there in the middle. Um, and uh, I know a lot of your composing origin comes from your college days. Mm-hmm. Um, you said in an interview that you guys spent a lot of weekends, you know, renting things out on Friday. So you had the equipment all weekend and you were playing a little guitar at the time and they all kind of looked at you as the guy to start composing. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the way it worked. Yeah. I I, I basically was tricked into it. Oh, (laughs) tricked. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which was basically by way of, um, you know, uh, having someone convince me that, I had no good reason not to try, even though I tried to convince them I didn't know anything about doing that. And so I think I've realized over time that that those initial experiences in that early years of my college days kind of fused into like a a core philosophy that sort of centered around that very idea, you know, just because you don't really know what you're doing is not a good enough excuse not to give it a try anyway. That's it. I have that written right here. I love that. It's like this punk rock philosophy. I heard you say, fuck it, just because we don't know how to play, it's not going to stop us. And I think that was probably the initial foundation of that was because that's how I found my way into playing music in the first place. It's like, Mm -hmm. I got a late start. You know, I, between the E and the O, there weren't a lot of people around that played instruments. I didn't really meet other people who knew how to play. And so it was discovering punk rock as a teenager around like, I was like 17 before I ever picked up a guitar. Yeah. And it was just this idea of like, um, that the musical part of it was just part of it. You know, it was sort of about having something to say and it was expression and it was art and it wasn't all about musical performance. Yeah. Punk rock. So it was an access point. It was a way in. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe, um, that I, that same concept of, um, so what if you don't know how to play? Right. Just just commit to something enthusiastically. Just do it. And just do it anyway. Yeah. Figure it out as you go. Yeah. That, I, it's That's kind of when I started doing this deep dive in research about you, Ben. That was the thing that kept coming up over and over again. And I love that about you because the joke I've always said is if you asked me to fly the space shuttle, I would say yes, but I'd be reading the manual on the way up. That's right. You know, but I'll figure it out. It's yeah. just you yeah. got, and it, I think, you know, we joke about that too, about filmmaking and just about everything we do. Mm-hmm. If you, if you wait to be ready, you'll probably never do anything. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um. So... You've made some great films. You've composed on a lot of great films. Um, the reimagining of Hellraiser is great. I've been, I just listened to a bunch of that music today. That stuff is great. To see you, uh, 
the clips of that in front of it, a huge orchestra. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it makes me really happy to see you working at that capacity. Um, you work a lot. That was David Bruckner, and mm-hmm. you work a lot with David Bruckner. You guys went to college together. Yep. So you guys also did Nighthouse. Um, there was a story here that um, you were talking about. There was a, a something you worked on called American Folk. Mm-hmm. And along the lines of what we're talking about, you yeah. were driving across country, right? Yeah, Tell me right. a little bit about that and how that came together. That was 2016, I, I think, if I remember right. And I was taking a much-needed road trip around yeah. the country. And this was the early days of Instagram when you could post like a 15-second long mm-hmm. video clip and that mm-hmm. was it. And while I was on this cross-country drive out to California, as I was kind of zigzagging my way there, I would stop throughout the day and take little 15-second clips of just landscapes and things you see as you're driving across the country. And as kind of a meditative experiment, I I just brought a guitar. That's all I took on that trip. And so I would just do these little finger picking. I did nothing really that had to develop into a song idea. It was just a meditative, it was just the moment of how I was feeling. And I would just put a clip and a little voice note ditty together yeah. and I'd post it Yeah, and I would post it with a number and the number was always the mileage of where I, but it was no oh, context. Cool. People eventually began to figure out yeah. that every throughout the day I was just posting these little clips with a number. And then that was like the mileage of uh-huh. how far I was into the trip. And that went on for a couple of weeks. And, um, and then I got to LA and um, I got a call from a guy and he was like, I've been watching your, your post that you've been making uh, about driving across the country. And because, by the way, we've been, we're shooting this film about these characters taking a road trip across the country and the kind of energy and the kind of uh, the sound and the feel of yeah. what you've been putting in, that's what we want for the score. Will Love you it. score the film? And so, so cool. and it was just the, the moral of that was just kind of like, you put these little things out into the world for your own creative need and, um, you never really know when that's going to come back around or create an opportunity for you or mm. uh, when it actually connects with somebody and what they might be doing. Yeah, I think so that's... I love it. Yeah. I love it, too. It, it's great. I mean, there's so many artists out there. I teach, so I deal with a lot of actors and, you know, self-sabotaging and, you know, just so many artists who, oh, I can't do that or, you know... Why I don't have any, you know, I don't have a team, you know, how would I do that without this crew? And like, just the idea of making art for the sake of making art. And you just, like you said, you just have no idea what it's going to lead to. Some of the things that I've been hearing you talk about as I've done some research here is um, you like to find the, the sonic DNA of the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what does that mean to you exactly? Well, you know, I feel like there's always, um, uh, before even there's a musical conversation or a, or a musical identity, maybe there's just a way, like a, a textural thing about a way a film feels because the way the the sound and the music kind of come together to give that, um, you know, it it enhances the picture. It, it gives it a certain personality that's, that's like, um, you know, a beautiful shot of a mountain is a beautiful shot of a mountain. But you can put so many different, textures and sounds and musical kind of colors to that that allow people to have a very personalized experience to the way that feels to them. Mm. And so um, because music is the emotional language of the story and it's the part that is 
the most um, interpretive and individualistic to the to the uh, viewer. I think that I'm usually trying to find like, what does this movie feel like from that perspective? Since that's the way I tend to interpret things, and un- and the way I understand things that through that medium. And so I'm usually always just trying to figure out before I'm too worried about um, what are the notes. I'm kind of like, what are the sounds? And I think part of that is because a lot of my inspiration for musically what happens comes from an inspiration from the way things sound. Mm -hmm. Like when I, sometimes it's very daunting to sit down, you know, in 88 keys or a blank (laughs) piece of paper or whatever and just kind of go like... All right. right, movie score. <laughs> Here we go. Day one, you know, it's like hitting. Nope, not that note. Ding. Uh, no, it's not that note. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go get a drink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and come back to this. So sometimes you just root around in, um, dig around in the dirt, looking mm. for sounds totally. and textures and things that just feel like they stick to the screen without falling off. Yeah, and it's just like, well, this doesn't develop or go anywhere, but it does feel like the movie to me, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's like an, a way in. I love mm-hmm. that. That's cool. And you you talked about that uh, like specifically on Nighthouse. You I heard you talked about elemental forces yeah. and just finding the way things sound. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it interesting that you talked a lot about you created a lot for that movie. I did. And then because the movie dealt with the subject of loss, you ended up stripping a ton away to give you the sound you wanted. It was a really interesting experience on that film, especially when you consider that um, the, uh, the degree to which there were these conceptual elements in the story that lent themselves to musical interpretation in so many interesting ways. Like you've got a story that's dealing with, you know, repeating patterns and inverted architecture and all these kinds of ways that you might interpret. Like I was like, Oh, musical palindromes and, you know, melodies that, that are sort of the same forwards and backwards. And, and I get into all these kind of conceptual things that are, um, that are mirrors of some of what's going on there. But then, like a lot of directors I work with, Bruckner and I have a saying always, a lot of times it's like, the movie always wins. Yeah. And so <laughs> at the end of the day, all those sort of lofty concepts that you can start out with, um, at the end of the day, they have to serve what's mm-hmm. on the screen and they have to work with what the actor's doing and what the camera's doing and what the sound's doing and mm-hmm. everything else. So right. um, because I don't approach the films as a... Um, a way to demonstrate or as like a vehicle to sort of express my musical ambitions. Mm -hmm. I'm using what I understand about music to try and help tell the story, Mm -hmm. right? It's kind of the other way around that when you really drill down into the core thesis of what a story like the night house is about, it is about all the things that aren't there. And so it was amazing to find how much more powerful it became when we put it in the scenes, the more things I would take away. Yeah. So yeah. sometimes some of the some of the most uh, central elements to a piece of I might have written are are taken away, like the melody and some of the structural parts of the chord progressions, and just some of the supporting layers. And in a given scene, it was like, "That's it. Don't touch it. it don't touch it. Yeah. it. It finally stands up and walks now. Yeah. The whole scene's working. Yeah. And sometimes you're just you're making room when you've got someone like Rebecca Hall on screen. Yeah. Right, you give her room. You know, you back <laughs> off. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you find addition through subtraction in that way. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the way. 
the idea with actors in particular. Now, um, I know you've done some filmmaking, you know, uh, so you've worked with your fair share of actors too. And almost always, I feel in my particular medium is stripping it all away ends up being the best product. So Stanislavski, you know, old Russian acting teacher says 99%. Like we're supposed to cut 99%. It's the same thing. You come in as an actor and you're like, oh, I got these great ideas and the movie's about this and here's the themes we're dealing with. So I'm going to give this really like this kind of and add all these twitches and like oh, all these really. And then at the end of the day, you start shooting it and working on it, stripping away and stripping away and you just kind of sit in it and be like, I'm going to really do nothing and just let this piece speak for itself. And I mean, yeah. and when I heard you talking about that, that's, I call it, it's, you say it much nicer. I call it killing my babies. Sure. It's just like, cause it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Kill your favorite babies. <laughs> you do. And I'm sure when you and David are working together, that's why that theme, the movie always wins. Cause I'm yeah. sure you've had some heated discussions about what stays and what goes, you yep. know, healthy, collaborative, heated discussions. And it becomes addictive when you go through that process and you see it work. And it's, you get to a point where you're like, oh, I can't wait to see what all we're going to throw right. out. You're, you're ready to kill everything. You're yeah. just like, let's just, let's just go in there with a, with a hammer and beat this yeah. thing to death. Yeah. Because you, you, you realize that the, the, the best end product is so much more you know, than the sum of all these little parts you've created. Yeah. And you get so excited about what all you can now lose once you have all the elements in there together. Right. And I would think that there's a similarity in the stripping back part uh, at least within the context of, say, filmmaking with the acting, because, you know, there's an old adage about film music about, you know, uh, it's doing its job best when you don't know that it's there. Same thing with directors. Yeah. Same, and, and there's there's probably a parallel to acting. And again, it's not always that that's always necessarily true about music. Obviously, there's lots of different ways that music can exist and operate in a film. It doesn't always have to be the same way. But it's generally true that the less you're thinking about it or are aware of it in the context of experience in the story, the more effective it will be. And acting is probably the same way where yeah. like if you're watching a scene and you're going, this is really good acting. You're not <laughs> involved in the character at all experience. Yeah. Same way with the music. If you're like, I this love is this very song. emotional music right yeah. now. I'm really feeling this. Then you're not. Yeah. yeah. You're processing it and you're intellectualizing it and all of this. Yeah. And as people who create in this medium, you know so well that your favorite, because people ask, people ask you all the time, so when you watch a movie, do you just like think about the music the whole time? I'm like, no. <laughs> I watch a movie like anybody else's. I, yeah. I, I hate it when yeah. I'm distracted, even yeah. when I like the music. Yeah. I like to realize after that, you know, oh, that movie w was great. It really worked. Oh, you know, the music was really, really good in that. Same with yeah. the acting. I don't want to yeah. think about how good the performance is right. while I'm experiencing it. Yeah, if you're thinking right. about the directing at any point, too, it's it, it's the same thing. Yeah, and I do the same thing as an actor. I show up on set that same way, like, oh, I got all these great ideas. Mm -hmm. Let's see how they cut it, yep. you know? And a lot of times I'm looking for someone to say, all right, dude, that's cool. I can see why you did that, but it's not going to work. I have a saying know? in the studio, too, that I borrowed from uh, – I took from an old punk rock legend that I was in the studio with and um, was was doing a song with and early on and <laughs> I was like trying to like come up with these ideas to sort of augment what we were doing and I was like oh, I could do it like this like do you, I could do something like this on top of it and he just sort of looks across the thing and he was like just do it regular <laughs> 
And I and I sort of thought about it, and I was like, no, yeah, 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 no, you're right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Whatever that means in a given context, it's like just do it regular. Just do it regular. Yeah. Like yeah. all these things you want to do because of some other motivation. Yeah. Do the thing that fits. Yeah. Do yeah. the thing that makes the whole thing work. Yeah. Do the <laughs> obvious thing that makes it better. Not the. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Just yeah. do it regular. And yeah. sometimes yeah. I just default back to like. Let's just do it regular. Let's just do it regular. Voice, yeah, yeah do and it. in acting, I would say that, that 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 kind of lends itself to like be you, like bring yourself to it. Yeah. I I did a part on uh, it's yet to come out yet on Apple TV called Manhunt, and I played it's like the 1700s. I play a lieutenant for the 16th New York Cavalry. Oh, amazing! So my first day, I had to learn how to ride a horse. You know, I charge up on a horse. I'm in a full lieutenant uniform. I got a sword on, a gun on, like it's a whole thing. And in my head, I'm thinking, "Well, I'm a lieutenant." I'm not military. I got to stand up straight. I got to do all these things. I've already had plenty of rehearsals with the director. Like everything's already been worked out. And as soon as I got, I was like, well, I got to add all this stuff and I'm on, I'm bumping into stuff. And it's like awkward. Like <laughs> I could feel it on set. It was my first day. Everyone's like, Oh, let's see what this Murphy guy has. He's going to be with us for four episodes. And I could feel it on set. Everyone was like, and then Ooh. it just becomes just stay on the horse. <laughs> oh yeah. And then the director, but the director came over to me. My note was, yeah, just don't, don't let just him get don't off the horse. fall off the horse. Yeah. <laughs> the director came over to me and he pulled me aside and I was like, Oh man, what's happening here? I don't know what's going on. And his note to me was like, Murphy, just be you. There's power in that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ah. I walked over there and I slunched into my hips, slouched into my hips. And I like did the shuffled in. I was like, ah, I'm just going to be me. And that was my first day. And it settled in. Just do it regular. Yeah. Just do it regular. Do yep. It regular. Yep. Moral of the story. I, can I, can I say something? Yes, you can say something. <laughs> Thank you for asking. This for is permission. your time. <laughs> you may so, speak. Helen has the floor. I've known you Ben. You have the conch. I've known Ben for a long time. Yeah. I, I can't, I don't even know how long it's, it's more than 10 years. I feel like yes. it's at least 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I met you cause you came into town, uh, on my horse, on your horse, <laughs> <laughs> my oh, general's you outfit. You sure did, buddy. You really were actually, I really actually was wearing Yeah, it. you were. And you were a filmmaker and a music maker. You did all the things. I was kind of confused. I was like, he does everything. Mm. And we, you had me, well, okay, fast forward a few years past that, and I was in the studio with you, uh -huh. and you were helping me, like, fix a song, and one of the, in the, in the vein of this Just Do It Regular, and I was like, I don't even remember what I was saying, I was like, what if we did this, and what if we did that, and what if we did, and I really want it to be like this, and you just looked at me, and you were like, you can't be too precious with it. And that for me, what that was like my moment that is in my head all the time now yeah. where I'm like overthinking whatever, trying to like I write three different versions of a third verse and I'm finally like, I can't, be, I'm not going to be precious with this. I'm just going to let it ride and see how it, and it ends up helping mm -hmm. so oh, much more the life of the song. That lesson we learn over and it's over again. It's for most, are all artists. I feel like we all have that struggle, right? Where we're like... Oh, and I'm sure anytime I give someone that advice, it's just me trying to give myself that advice. So I like, <laughs> if I can convince you of that, maybe I can eventually just convince myself right. of yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Right. Yeah. But it's huge, though, because it's like we, yeah, like we're a reflection for each other, too. You know, we have to, like, help remind each other. That's right. This is, this is supposed to, this is fun. We're just having fun here. And, and I, re I always really appreciated that about you, amongst other things. Well, and it's also this, that conversation of, you know, Finishing the song is really more important than getting it exactly right. Right, right. Um, 
which is like a whole other topic and a whole other pyramid right. of conversation, but yeah. it really is um, the big picture of, you know, completing the task of writing or finishing recording or whatever the song, instead of getting caught in this sort of endless pinball machine of yeah. choices and options and ways to change it and perfect it and all this sort of thing. So easy. Yeah, so easy to go there. And over again. And, you know, uh, when you're talking about things like mainstream, like, you know, big budget projects. It's just when you're on a TV show, it's just boom, they're moving on, they're moving on, it's done. It may not be perfect. I see flaws all the time, even in big Marvel movies where I'll be like, see, I'm different from you guys. I can't watch a movie without, I have to pick it apart. Mm -hmm. It's just, I, I, I look at editing, I look at directing, I look at everything, and what I can, I see mistakes everywhere, but you know, I've done a lot of short films here in Asheville, and it's like somebody's first short film, and they wrote it, and they produced it, and they're throwing a little bit of money at it, and it comes down to post, and it's like, this thing's almost done. Alright, take a look at it, give me your final notes, and it's like, oh, we're gonna change this song, and we need to, and it's like, <laughs> you get to a point where you're just like, alright, this is, it's done. It's done. I don't well, want to do it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. And <laughs> kind of connecting those two, I think that I, I over time it. I have realized that maybe that's become one of the most appealing parts about working in film for me as a music person. Yeah. Is that it has to get done. Exactly. Yeah. It sort of oh, is yeah. like Deadlines. the structure and the nature of those jobs is it's like you have to hit the ground running and sprint to the finish line and it's exhausting and it's like mentally debilitating at times, but there is a real satisfaction in constantly finishing things. And the more yeah, you finish, the more you do, the more you're able to do. Mm -hmm. And so the more you finish and the more kind of, uh, problems that you solve along the way. Cause that's mostly what the job is just like directing. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah. what is problem that job? Solving. Problem solving. All of so it. is yeah. high paid problem film. solving. Yep. Yeah. And so I think that, um, you know, the difference between, say, writing an artist's yeah. uh, project, uh, doing a song for, your, for yourself as an artist, and trying to score someone's mm -hmm. film is there's a lot of things that make them different, but one of them is there's a very finite cliff, mm -hmm. you know, that it, and so it becomes more about, um, you know, that's why I, I'll get asked about advice to young composers or kind of that sort of thing, and I'm just kind of always like, you know, Finishing things is so important mm -hmm. because, you know, the um, you know, putting maybe not your best ideas down on a thing is not necessarily going to prevent you from getting another opportunity to work, but not getting it done on time definitely will. Definitely yeah. will. Yeah. Yeah. That reputation is a no-go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I like, I, I, I heard, I'm, I think it was Nighthouse, but you, you, this may be more of a process you like to do, but there was one specifically you were talking about where... You had the music composed up front mm -hmm. before they started shooting? Mm -hmm. Well, it was mostly that I had started writing. Started right? writing. Yeah, and Nighthouse was one of the first opportunities I had had to do that because I got hired during the script phase. That's awesome. Yeah, and so I was already, like that earlier uh, conversation we had about uh, just starting with sounds and yeah. just making mm -hmm. textures, and I went, because I got to go to set, 
and I got to spend three days on set and mm-hmm. just, you know, it, this movie takes place mostly in a house by a lake. It was mm-hmm. like, what house? What lake? You know, yeah. everyone pictures something different when you're reading the script. Mm-hmm. Once they finally had a location, yeah. I got an early opportunity to go see what that place feels like and right. sounds like and, you know, sit on the dock and listen to the lake water and mm. had record ideas, ba- yeah. record that. And so um, that enabled me to start experimenting with things. And, and like I say, it's always good to hire your composer early because then the bad ideas don't have to go in the movie. Right. You have time yeah. to work yeah, through yeah, yeah. things and try things yeah, and throw those out. Yeah, it just always left to the end. I think that's a bad idea. No, it's crazy to me. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's crazy. And then you look at, like, why, why I bring it up, um, the latest Joker with Joaquin Phoenix, the music was so important in that movie. And they had all the music up front to the point where they were playing yeah. the music while they were the shooting. Dan- the whole scene, the whole yeah. iconic dance in the bathroom scene was like a spontaneous idea that, that Joaquin had on the set from the, listening to a music. specific sketch she had made mm-hmm. for the movie. And mm-hmm. so in a very, in a similar way, um, you know, Bruckner's able to listen to sketches of ideas and headphones. There's lots of downtime on set, right? You're oh, yeah. resetting the camera, you're moving the room around or whatever. And so he's got his headphones on and he's listening. And occasionally he could play something for Rebecca and go like, it's not even really a piece of music. It's just me noodling around trying to go, it maybe sound like this mm-hmm. and if she responds to it or it or it motivates her in some way then you've got this amazing synergy that's running backwards and forwards through mm-hmm. it and that's one of the reasons i think people respond to the connectivity maybe of yeah. like the performance and the music and mm-hmm. the story it's just there was just more time to experiment with it so that film never had to be cut with temp music right mm-hmm. they just had more than they knew what to do with of stuff to start putting in there mm-hmm. and working in the initial stages of the edit with early versions of the score. So I could start awesome. to see what was working and what needed more time spent on it and stuff that I thought might be really interesting, but really didn't find a place. Right. So no reason to go back to those ideas and spend right. more time with them. Right. Just put them in the dugout and yeah. save them for yeah. something else. Yeah. You know, I've always said like with scary movies or suspenseful movie thrillers, it's all in the music. And that's <laughs> what's so, that's it, so sure. fun yeah. that you get to do that uh, as, as, as a job. And I, I have a question about that, actually. Like, what genre do you feel like is the most challenging to compose for? Well, one of the reasons I think I'm probably kind of a masochist in this play is like <laughs> horror is actually really, really challenging yeah. to do. I and bet. It, and one of the reasons is it's the only genre where you deal in every human mo- emotion in like 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the only one where you're going to go to both poles and extremes of just human emotion. Yeah. Interesting. It's the only one where you're going to get to terror. You're going to go that <laughs> far and, and you're dealing in fear. and, right. and ten- Because usually most horror films will also have you know, for that to work, extreme joy. You need joy, and yeah. you need having. Yeah. You need funny parts, and yeah. so you kind of have to find some um, unit of, of uh, range and yeah that yeah. works for all of those things. That yeah, you can tag every base mm-hmm. on the oh, field yeah. within one set of musical ideas, and right. so it is very challenging. Um, but it, at the same time, it's also the most. Um, flexible in terms of allowing you to experiment. Yeah. And it's so uh, driven by this kind of visceral nature of, of music that mm. you can just, you know, 
you can f- sit on the piano sometimes and it, and, you know, and it works yeah, just yeah. all the notes, you know, yeah. and, so, <laughs> right. and, and there's a common misconception that it's just like, it's easier because of that. You right. know? But like, you can see the difference in movies that are, you can't score a movie with just a bunch of noise, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, um, even, just, even atonal music has structure and purpose within mm-hmm. a story if they've scored it that way. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it is challenging in that way, but but you love it. But I love it. But it's, yeah. it's also just one genre yeah. that I like. You know, it's like I don't know anyone that only listens to one kind of music. No, right. Mm-hmm. Except maybe like hardcore jazz guys. Yeah. <laughs> they pretty much only listen to jazz. Uh, Why but, listen to anything else? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I I like doing a documentary as much as I do a comedy, as yeah. much as I do a horror film. They're, they're all challenging. And it's yeah. usually because um, – when you get into the heart of it, your job is related so much to the story and the story transcends the genre. And so um, at the end of the day, you're not making a genre piece. I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're trying to detail a yeah. specific story. Yeah. And every story is different and unique and every right. director is different and unique. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's fun. It is such a collaborative process too. That's the best part of it. Yeah. It's the yeah. best, the team. It's the best part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I grew up playing sports as a kid. I wasn't good at any of them, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I played a lot of them. And it was the team. Yeah, like I, I you know, showing up off Saturday to you know mm-hmm. play baseball, and no, I, I wasn't gonna hit the ball, and <laughs> probably wasn't gonna make it on base that day. Well, I think that, but probably, I can't let the team down. I think I had that maybe. And I never really thought about it in that context, but before music, it was all basketball for me. Yeah, for my entire like. Junior high, high school, all of that, everything that immediately preceded picking up a guitar and finding punk rock was basketball. Yeah. And yeah. A, that is a team game. It is. Yeah. And so, and I, that was the best part about the experience of committing so much time to that was the team thing that the you thing. experience. Win or lose. Yeah. Win or lose, you do it together. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, uh, filmmaking is absolutely. The yeah. team. I height love the of team. collaboration that's and team. it's as as a songwriter too like i'm in this new phase where i would rather it be a collaborative yeah. process than just making a me too my own thing yeah oh yeah. yeah and from an actor's point of view i tell my students all the time the more you know as an actor about what everybody else's job on yes. set is how much better you do your job yeah like when i get an audition and i i look at a script i I see it. I hear it. I mean, I've got a pretty solid idea of what that's most likely going to look like when we're sitting in seats eating popcorn. And it's interesting because that was sort of like me going to set, you know, it's like, so if I, if I'm just to use that same example of being on set during the night house, it's, it's sort of like, I've read the script. I know the character. I know what we're trying to accomplish. So when I'm watching a take after a take after a take of someone like Rebecca um, doing a scene, and I've had a chance to meet and talk with her outside of just watching her as the character, I can start to notice specific things that she's doing in her performance in order to accomplish the goals of the scene. And so I can start to, that can start to be instructive to me about what she's deliberately trying to do to help bring across this one thing, because there comes a point where they're passing the ball to you as the music yeah. to help convey another part of that, that there is not a way to shoot or to write mm-hmm. or to act or to physically sort of represent. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a part of every story that only music can tell, or at least that I think it can best it's illustrate. Character. Yeah. 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 And, and you're also kind of the last line of defense too, because mm-hmm. of, um, 
because of the nature of where you come in the production process, which is typically at the very, very end. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you have started early, you're one of the last things to be committed right. to and, right. and decided on. Right. So it's, it's also uh, an advantage in that sense um, to the production, not necessarily to you, the one running out of time and resources to, to make it, but that um, if there are things that, again, problem solving, if there are things that still aren't quite working or aren't coming across to communicate um, comprehension about a scene, do we, we understand where this character is at? Why are they doing this? Right. What is it they're really thinking while this person's telling them this? If we need the audience to understand something that isn't quite on screen, mm-hmm. you're the last line of defense to help get us there. Yeah. So you may need to change what you were doing late in the game because it's like people aren't understanding that she doesn't believe him when he says this. So we need to change the temperature in the scene. All the so eyes cool. on the room turn to Ben like, ben, like what you can got? you fix this? <laughs> yeah. And, and actors, they would they would be, be horrified by the extent to which I can modify mm-hmm. their performances, you know, by what I put underneath them. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Oh, for sure. There's all kinds of stuff on Instagram now where you see, like, you know, like the final – metal scene in Star Wars oh, where yeah, they're yeah. marching up and they either take the music out Amazing. or they add music to it. It's like, it's a whole different thing. Yeah, right? if anybody's listening to this and you haven't seen this um, and you are interested in this kind of thing, that one's a great one, um, which is the the metal, the final scene in the first Star Wars where they mm-hmm. basically just remove the music and someone has meticulously gone back and put all the sounds back mm-hmm. in it. So like, this is what it sounds like. But there's an even better one is the last scene of E.T. <laughs> Go watch, oh. go look at it. it. There's a video called like The Importance of John Williams or something. And it's just, they just refolied all the sound in the last scene of E.T. where oh. he like hands the plant and goes yeah. up the thing. Ding, 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 oh. ding. And it is just the most profoundly awkward like three minutes of cinema of just <laughs> people standing just around people looking, looking at, each, at other. each other and the wind blowing and <laughs> him going I, clank, clank, I clank, clank, that. going like, up Can he the move st- any slower? And then you rewatch it with the score and it's like the most moving majestic, you know, right. yeah. that's, a, that crazy? that's the it's first time I saw my dad cry Yeah, is at the movies at the final scene. of And E.T. he probably wouldn't have cried as much if the music hadn't been in there. Yeah, I remember yeah. looking at him like my fucking dad is crying right now. It's okay to cry. It's okay to cry. <laughs> I wanted just to kind of, we were talking a little bit before we started rolling here. We were at, talking about what your current projects are and you were saying you were taking a little step back and this is kind of maybe this is a two-part question number one what like okay from my perspective you've been working non-stop since i first met you when i first met you you were a songwriter too and you were putting out records and stuff like that and then your film composing life really took off and you know you were in your hole Mm -hmm. in your sound booth hole so like what led you to kind of take a little break and are you going to try and start getting back into some creative stuff with your own music? I would love to say that it was sort of a, a healthy observation, a need um, to <laughs> pull. And I, and I think it was really more like I burned out and hit the wall. Yeah. Totally. I yeah. think I, I think I ran myself straight into the ground. Yeah. And to the point where um, I, I think I was already feeling it before Hellraiser even started. Uh-huh. And then Hellraiser was a such an intense project to work on. The 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 
the sheer immensity of what I had to tackle. Yeah. It was like 10 months of seven days a week. I had like five days off in 10 months or something. I worked every day. And that was on the heels of, like you said, years of just kind of going at it nonstop. And, um, and there was a, a, at least maybe six years or so since about the ritual. Oh yeah. In 20, which I flew to London and did that in 2017, the beginning mm-hmm. of 2017. And I really didn't stop. I didn't take a break. Yeah. Um, that process chewed up relationships. It chewed yeah. up, fr- you know, lost touch with friends. There was just yeah. like, I d- and it was um, something that maybe I was addicted to like, like yeah. work. Right. Just, I'm workaholic. just sort of like workaholic yeah. is not just sort of a euphemism. It's an actual addiction affliction mm-hmm. you can do. Mm-hmm. And I think with me, it may have come from, um, you know, it's easy to shove off a lot of the things that you might need to deal with in your own life. Is it mm-hmm. by, by the excuse of like, I'm d- I, I'll do, I got to work. I gotta yeah. Work. Too much to do. Yeah. 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 So, so busy. Everybody loves to be like, uh, oh, I'm so busy. Everything's I'm, it's, it, this. It's, so, it's been so crazy. It's like yeah. every. It's just everyone's story. Yeah. and it's like there's there's some so cool? kind of addiction to that, and the mm-hmm. way that it kind of protects you from having to go. Am I happy doing yeah. this? Like, what what do I have a life? Yeah, is my life just work? And you know, there's you've dealt with this. I mean, there's something that becomes really bizarre when you, or sort of both product and product manager when you're in the business of being you yeah it's something very strange and I think that my reluctance to fully adopt um some ability to sort of uh commoditize myself has had a direct relationship on my relative level of success with it especially as an artist yeah outside of just composing for other people or whatever right there's a certain point at which um it feels Real weird and very mm-hmm. much outside of your own experience. And yeah. st- uh, so I've always been very reluctant to um, to kind of give in fully to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I also maybe instinctively felt like I knew whatever it was I was after wasn't necessarily convincingly down that road. Right. You know? Right, right, right. Um, and so anyway, all of this kind of like coalesced to a point where um, I just kind of was like, I need to take a break. Mm-hmm. I really need to um, say thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. Uh, because I think I kept waiting on, um, I kept assuming there would be a natural lull. There'd be an opportunity yeah, yeah, yeah. between things when things kind of ebb and flow and dip and you'd kind of have a chance to catch your breath. And it was another person saying, dude, I don't think that's going to happen for you at this point. He was like, you're yeah. kind of. Yeah. In demand now. You're on. You're in. You're in the river, like flowing down the like. There's, right. The river doesn't stop. You're right. kind of on a raft going. You know, the momentum of this thing that you've been doing is sort of carrying you along at this point. Yeah. And if you just keep saying yes to stuff, like, you know, you yeah. have to swim to shore. Right. And so I kind of had to jump off and swim. Yeah, to shore. yeah, and, yeah. And that has been this year. Um. You know, I had not taken a vacation or a break. I had not lived outside the structure of a deadlines. Yeah. Where something was usually getting finished, overlapping something, getting started right. for years, for wow. since probably mm-hmm. 2017 at least. Yeah. No vacation, no break, no time off, no any of that. Yeah. And uh, so this year has been, um, and, and you made, to, to your point, supposedly uh, my, my thing is like, 
I'm like a rock and roll movie composer, song and dance man, you know, and I'm like, I really hadn't been doing a whole lot of rock yeah, and roll. And no, I hadn't been doing a no. lot of writing songs and performing and singing. And, and I, yeah, that was one of the things I love most about you is that you bring people together. Yeah. Playing singing. shows. Yeah. We did that shooting videos and making and, and doing these like art shows and all yeah, these yeah. kind of performance based things always brought people together. And while it is true that filmmaking is extremely collaborative, the reality of the life of the composers, you spend a lot of time alone. Right. Yeah. It's a right. very solitary job. Yeah. So most of this timeline I've been saying that I've been working on, I'm mostly just sitting in a room mm-hmm. by myself, mm-hmm. which is my least favorite part of the process yeah. of any of it to do. Yeah. And so I was just kind of like, is this the thing I wanted? Um, is this really what I wanted? Uh, or am I just been so caught up in a pattern of taking opportunities and constantly trying to, I I guess, prove something to myself. Mm -hmm. And I, which I think maybe stemmed from, um, having gotten into it the way I did and, and sort of being self-taught and having this, like, just jump in and learn to swim. I'm constantly been curious to find out what I'm capable of doing because there's a sort of default voice in your head that's like you don't know how to do that the imposter (laughs) thing yeah imposter syndrome there it is yeah yeah and so you just kind of like I've never been motivated to prove anything to anybody else right but it stems I guess there's a mixture of confidence and insecurity in that because it's not that I'm so confident no that I know how to do it and I'm gonna it's that I just know that I'll figure it out. It I'll out, figure something out. Going back to where you started again yeah. with the, it doesn't matter. I don't know how to play this. I'm going right. to figure it out. Right. And so I think that that propelled me to to say yes to so many things. Right, and to of course. work so intensely for so long that I sort of stopped to ask myself. Wait a minute. Like, when is it enough? How much is enough? At yeah. what point are you sort of satisfied yeah. with this? This. Yeah. And is this what you imagined you wanted. Yeah. Is it life. still filling your bucket or is it starting to take away from your bucket? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there was, there was definitely some holes in a bucket yeah. and I was just kind of like, um, um, well, this is, this is maybe s- skipping stones across things, but I just, but just the other day, the Spotify, uh, rap gear. Yeah. 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 Gear. Okay. So I looked at that and I had over a million, streams mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. i didn't even put anything out this year yeah right and i haven't put out my own creative project since 2011 right 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 and i have no relationship to the concept of a million streams yeah despite all the interesting math it does and says like yeah if stream music streamed continuously it would play for four years without stuff you know yeah. I have no way to process that into right. anything meaningful right right but there's one statistic that says there was 108 people in the world listen to your stuff more than they listen to anyone else's stuff. That's a good number. Now yeah. that I can actually relate to. Yeah. That meant way more to me because I was like, it's a hundred people that like really, really yeah. connected with it yeah. in some way that it meant something to those people. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. I was like, that I understand. Yep. Now that is why you do it. Yep. Right. Is, is for the possibility to, to connect or yeah, to some, it. there's some evidence that like you were understood. Mm-hmm. Someone yes. felt that same way. Yes. Now that puts the stuff back in the bucket. The bucket. Yeah. A hundred percent. I totally agree with that. Yeah. 
So are you being creative at the moment then? I mean, surely you're being creative. You're an artist. You're not, you don't have a deadline, but you're doing something. There's no way. Yeah. I fortunately am in a situation where, um, I signed a publishing deal years, three years ago. And one of the stipulations of that was that I make a new artist record and it's been three years and it's due. So I figured I better get started. Yes. Another deadline. And so yeah, <laughs> there you go. I know. But at least it's a, it's a different type of deadline. It, it, it is because the three years are technically already up, but it's sort of like, what are they going to do? Show up at my right. door? Like they're going to have to get it when it's so. Yeah, Mr. Lovett, can you step outside, that's please? Right. It's like we're going to need to <laughs> strap this tape recorder to the side of your head, extract that album. Um, and it's interesting that we're having this conversation because I have thought about something you said. Yeah. Uh, you had had a couple of songs and we were going to work on them. And I said, oh, is this for a new Kellen record? Mm-hmm. And you were sort of, you were co-writing with a friend of ours. And, yeah. and you were kind of like, oh gosh, no, uh, these are just some songs we're writing, you know, to pitch for things. I don't even know what a, a artist, re- I don't even know what yeah. that would be right now. Yeah. And you said that, and that was where you were at at the time. Yeah. And that really stuck with me mm-hmm. when you said that. The fact that I remember that now, because I remember kind of like not, entirely knowing what you meant at the time (laughs) but I do now yeah yeah and I have had the same thought is sitting down after all this time with the task of an artist record it's just like what do you want to say and it's beyond um what kind of genre or what sort of what type of music I would write no you're just like there's so much that goes into the the act of creating something that's only has to express your own point of view and what yes. you need to say and what you need to get into. And weirdly, what I think I have found, um, again, I don't know if this kind of stuff is, is, is helpful or useful for somebody else listening, but I think I maybe got so good at helping other people tell their stories as sort of a way to not really have to ask myself what mine is right, right now. Mm-hmm. And now I'm sitting there going, yep, t- you know, here's it's time. The, the microphone's on. Yeah. Time to figure out what it is you want to say oh, right now. I love that. I oh, love man. that, Ben. Ben just blew my mind. <laughs> my mind's blown now. I mean, now I'm super pumped to hear what you come up with, too. Yeah. I you mean. You and me both. <laughs> it's going slow. Well, you know, like, I completely can relate to, because I'm still sort of, I don't know, it's like the place in my life I'm at or, or what, but, like, as an artist, like, I've been writing songs since I was 13, mm-hmm. and so... Yeah, I got really burnt out on it too, and I started having kids. So I was like, "Oh, this is a good distraction to like, you know, I'll just I'll just do the kid family life thing, mm-hmm. and not really worry about who I am as an artist anymore." And like that's that's kind of led me to a place where I'm like, I I like when I open up and I decide to go ahead and just like let it wash over me, let like the the therapeutic part of our our music life wash over me. Suddenly, it's like this aha moment where you're like, oh, okay, I can write about what I really think and feel right now, and it's okay if it, I, I don't care if anybody, if, if this person doesn't like it, or if it doesn't get radio play, or if, you know, all these things that you tell yourself matter as a young artist. And, and your songs, your new songs are, have a lot of really deep emotional 
yeah, it's not it's not going to be for them. everybody, you I'm know. Sure, no, yeah. But that's exactly how you make it for somebody. Yeah, that's exactly. true. I think that's why I mentioned the hundred and eight people. I'm with thing, you. Is yeah, you're like you you only reach those people by not trying to make something that's for yeah. everybody. Yeah, then you're not really making it for anybody. Yeah, yeah. But if you're making it for yourself you find that your experience isn't so particularly unique. Right. And that's such a joy because what's the point of this other than to connect and to find out you're not alone yeah. in these experiences? Yeah. yeah, and I feel like our job, like we're kind of channelers, right? Like as songwriters and musicians, like the way that, well, I don't know if it's this way for you, but for me, like I'm, I have such a hard time hearing my higher voice sometimes, my higher self sometimes, that it's like I almost have to kind of zone out and stop thinking about hearing what I'm feeling and thinking and just let it kind of free flow. Yep. And then I, I hear the song back and I'm like, oh, shit, this was about this thing that happened yeah. to me. It's so therapeutic in yeah. that way. It's one of the most miraculous parts yeah. of songwriting is is that point years later when you realize what the song you wrote yeah. is about. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then it suddenly seems very obvious. Yeah, and you're like, Not ah. always at the time, which is why you don't necessarily need to intellectually exactly. understand it. Exactly. You just have to feel that it's... Just make sure that it's connected. Yeah, yeah. You got to totally. feel like it's coming from somewhere that you can trust that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just yep. kind of go with it. I love that. I love that. Okay, Easier that said than done. Easier said than done. It is. Yeah. It really is an art form. I mean, like, and I think I always go back to like meditation and and yoga and all those things. Like those things help me turn off my analytical and like, you know, all that other, the parts of my brain that try to control the product, it helps me kind of like <clears throat> not do that. Um well, that's I'm I'm very happy to hear that you're gonna be Thanks. uh conquering that bear. I feel like a lot of people that we talk to now, especially artists, are kind of going through that kind of self-reflection, self-healing, like maybe it's an age thing. Maybe we've all been living a lifetime as artists. And like you said, I, I love what you said. It blew my mind, but the idea that like You've been telling everybody else's story and it almost feels like, are you running away from your own story? You know, and as an actor, that's literally all I do. That's why it blew my mind. That's literally all I do is try to tell somebody else's story the way they want me to tell that story. And to sit back and be like, well, what would it look like if I sat back and told my own story? Like, you, you made me write it down, like, one-man show. As soon as you said your album and you're like, everybody should do that, like, I was like, well, what's my version of my artist album? Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. would be a one-man show. Well, and, you know, it's very possible that the committing to doing something like that, the, the biggest reward, just to reemphasize kind of my perspective on my experience with it, w- would be what you get out of the process of preparing it, of having people help you put it on. The research. It's really less about how it's received or what people think of it or what yeah. it does commercially or any of that stuff. It's just like the you have to take pleasure in the effort. Mm-hmm. You know, the effort to do the thing has to be the part that you enjoy the most. That's it. That's all it is. Like when we talk about this on set, like I love acting. But it's not watching the final product that right. I love. It's That's the process of doing oh, it. The yeah. rehearsal and yeah. like, let's talk about it. And like, well, what's your point of view? And Matthew, what did you think about that? And like, all of a sudden, now you got a bunch of people throwing in, and it's like, that's the best part. It took me forever to learn that as an it artist. Is I don't the know process. why. Because, Fuck like, I think growing up, like, I, I was raised by a, a dad that kind of like trained me, uh, accidentally trained me to be a kind of a little bit of a perfectionist and overachiever. And so I was always thinking about the 
like how it was going to be presented and what people were going to think and all that bullshit that like screws us up as artists. And like the older I got, the more I started realizing, oh no, it's all about the experience and being there and just being in the moment and enjoying it. Well, a lot of that's that imposter syndrome too. And yeah. you guys are both fairly self-taught, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like you mentioned once, and I, I, I heard you say the toxic idea that you deserve something because of the time that you've put into it. Mm. And there's a lot of people who have worked their whole life and trained. And because of that, they can't improvise. They can't change up. They can't make it different or weird or be like, fuck it, let's just try this thing. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we all can bring to the work. Yeah. That it's. Or worse, that they feel entitled to some kind of, you know, like you said, for all that time and effort in their life that they've committed to being good at this thing. Then for some dumb dumb like me that sort of learned by playing power chords and punk rock <laughs> gets to have this career is that I'm, but that isn't how it works. No, no. it's just I know. we all know very well that the most successful people in this field are not necessarily the ones offering the highest quality of content. That really isn't what it's about. Right. You know. Right. Um, it's really more about the people that get through the other part that you're saying and manage to actually finish things and manage yeah. to actually do And then get on to the next one and get do on another on one, one and another one and another one. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're self-taught, but super accomplished with a lifetime of experience behind you. And it was funny. I was thinking when you were saying that about, um, you know, the, the uh, worrying too much or thinking about what people are going to say or feel. Mm-hmm. Like. And I was just there listening to you say that. And I was like, what, what, what people like us in our situation should be thinking is like, you should only think about those people in the context that, like, whether they like it or not, you're doing them a favor. Yeah. Why? Because you're giving them something to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. That's what they want to do. That's they want to say, they want to talk about how much they don't like it, how much they do like it. Yeah. Man, I love that. I want to teach my children that. Yeah. That's what I want to, like, really you're doing ingrain them a in favor. their brains. You're yeah. giving them some stuff to yeah. go sit at the bar and talk about how much that they didn't sucks. like it. Because that's all yeah. they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, and, and even in an even more tragic, it's like, I have students who come in, like, oh, I'm writing this short film or whatever. What if people don't like it? And I'm like, uh, a more tragic question is, what if you don't write it and someone who needs to like it yeah. doesn't get it? There you go. That's right the tragedy. Yeah. Who gives a fuck if someone doesn't like it? Someone's always not going to like it. Yeah, you're never going to make 100% of the people happy. Yeah, it's you're just not never going to happen. But you give 1%, some that 1% walks away like, holy shit, that's changed me. Yeah. Like pizza, Kellen. Did someone <laughs> say pizza? <laughs> Fucking pizza. You can't make everyone happy. You're not pizza. Um. (laughs) (laughs) This show's all about the journey. That's what we kind of always talking about in here. And I I don't know, really trying to find some questions that you haven't really been asked a lot. And one I came up with is from from where you came from, um, how do you feel that your life as an artist has shaped your life? Hmm. Well, if you would became a professional basketball player instead right. of this journey, I think that um, so when I went to college, I, like I said, had only been playing guitar poorly for like a year and there were no music opportunities to focus on at the University of Georgia at the time when I went. They were all performance majors, meaning you could major in performing an instrument, which mm. I couldn't barely do at all. Right, right. That was not even an option. 
it also wasn't really the part of it that I was the most interested in. Performing the instrument was still just a means to an end of what I was more interested in. It's the was, hammer. It's the hammer. And yeah. I was wanting to build a birdhouse, you mm-hmm. know. I'm in the birdhouse business, not the hammer <laughs> business. <laughs> <the> hammer <laughs> business. And so I ended up studying philosophy until the point that I realized I was spending all of my time outside of class doing music and art and making movies and all of this other work and all these other endeavors to the point that I sort of realized, well, I can, what am I going to do with a teach? I'm not going to teach philosophy as my life. And so my life as an artist, I think has shaped it in that it's allowed me a way to continue to explore the impulse that I had about philosophy and and Mm. the interest in that and the interest in, um, getting into the highly conceptual part of the human experience and Mm -hmm. looking at everything and then trying to take a different point of view than the one, like, like the journey, right? Right. Like like questioning even that. Mm -hmm. So like questioning the, questioning the idea of um, maybe there is no journey. Maybe if there's no destination, there's no journey. (laughs) There's no like, grand epic adventure of your life that concludes at a certain point it's always just right now there's just your there's just right now Mm -hmm. and everything else before is just a story Mm -hmm. right and you know how that experience of looking back at pictures of yourself or videos and sometimes it weirdly feels like it's like a story I was told once that I don't really, really remember all the details yeah. of. Right. I don't even feel like yeah. I identify with the first person perspective that person. of that version yes. of me. And why should you? It's yeah, just yeah. kind of like, are you that person? Or is that just linked through this lineage of like this story that you have about your, mm-hmm. your life or your mm-hmm. journey? But, mm-hmm. but if there's nowhere to get to and there's nowhere to reach, then it just really becomes about being here now and mm-hmm. being involved in what it is that most drives you and, and what you're most passionate about and um, how you would want to spend the rest of your life, you know, if right now was all that there was of that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I guess it's allowed me an opportunity um, to stay involved in that, um, that conversation. Yeah. Because most of the time when I'm writing songs and, and, and getting into, and I, I write a lot that isn't for, song or something like that's just to write and and usually it's it's not like I don't write a song about like you know I went to the bar and the bartender said and mm-hmm. I, it even when I'm doing that it's a metaphor for a larger conversation mm-hmm. because usually it's all I they're, they're ideas more than their stories mm-hmm. and I can sort of um, you know there's a song about a guy who's down on his luck and his, I love those but yeah. I tend to get more metaphysical about it because I think right. that's where my interest lies mm-hmm. Yeah. Because as far as we know, you know, you don't, you just get one run through of this. Yeah. Right. And so um, I think with both, uh, it's an, it's allowed me an opportunity to continue to do that for the purpose of better understanding and maybe appreciating my own experience. Yeah, right on. Mm-hmm. And also to feel like I've maybe put back into the jar or the well that I have pulled so much from, mm-hmm. um, you know, the work, well, I, I would. It's easy to say, like, oh, music saved my life. Like as a younger person, is is like an emotional and a, and a challenged uh, teenager, mm-hmm. connecting with things that you really like. It got you through stuff. Mm-hmm. Everybody has those experiences, mm-hmm. but it started to become less this idea that 
It was music, capital M. And you start to understand, no, that was somebody just like me. Yeah. At that time, who was my age now, when I was my age then, Mm -hmm. and they were dealing with all the stuff that I'm dealing with now. And Mm -hmm. they had to overcome all of that to make that thing that I connected with. And I was one of those 108 people, Mm -hmm. right? And it made a difference. And it's probably the reason I'm still sitting here. Mm -hmm. It's definitely the reason I'm still trying to do this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Is to like, you just got to keep that wheel turning. Mm -hmm. I I love it. Preach. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. What's been your favorite project you've worked on so far? I think it's 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 making my first artist album. Yeah. Just I mean yeah. there's there is nothing that's really been like that experience. Yeah. And I would encourage everybody to do whatever that version is of their thing for themselves because there's just you get so much out of the process and one of the most amazing parts of that was um you know the what you get from the enthusiasm of other people that are helping Mm, you with it yeah and so regardless of what you may feel about what it is that you're doing or what you're trying to set out to accomplish when you see enthusiasm for that reflected back in other people that you're excited to even have involved in what you're doing yeah it's amazing. It's, it's transformative and yeah. it, it sort of teaches you more better. and gives you more than you ever really would have thought. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. What was the name of that record again? Highway For Collection. Highway Collection. Which can you find it on your website? Given it's, yeah. And you, yeah. it's easy to find. You can just Spotify Google that or Spotify all, the, all, the, all yeah. the places. Yeah. But that was because I, that was a uh, period where I was just driving around the country visiting friends and dropping in on people Love who it. I knew musicians and studios and stuff all around the country. And yeah. those songs were made driving around yeah. visiting people. So every song has different groups of people and it was, re- every song is recorded in multiple places. Cool. It's awesome. Uh, Wait, one last thing. Yeah, please. The, the song that we played at the beginning of this episode yes. was called Heart Attack. And it's been Lovett's song. It was in the very beginning. I was say, the video featuring Kellen I, on, on I, guitar <laughs> with a, I remember with a crushing cold. You I had was, like I a, had, you the had flu, like the flu, but I just had come off the it flu. It was Halloween, wasn't it? No, no, it was Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day, Day. and it was this amazing video that Ben again like brought all these people together, all these creative people that were super talented, and. I had to, <laughs> I was so brain dead, and I had to play the electric guitar, mm-hmm. and I remember just being, like, moving around, like, I don't know what I'm doing, and somebody, like, oh, you came up to me, and you were like, hey, so you're just going, you're j- you basically told me how to strum a guitar. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, yeah. Sorry, uh-huh. I just, I don't know what song I was playing, but it wasn't the song yeah. that we're playing right now, like, sorry. You kind of need to at least look like you're playing <laughs> you're this like- song. <laughs> the note you gave me you're like let's just play this song song. i was like cool okay i'm i was like such a badass just three chords Uh, you you can handle it but what's great about the final cut of the video is every time it'll cut to you you've got like this look on your face and it just looks like you're so like into it and you're just like your eyes are squinting and really it's just her trying to stay on her feet and just stand up because it was hours Hours and hours and she had just the worst illness i was like you know it kind of works like i'll just look pissed off like i'm like a punk girl it looks like she's just ripping into the guitar and just super feeling it there was the the, uh ryan burns was playing the keys Mm -hmm. and i like did this like rock star moment falling back onto his back that was really me just taking a nap i just really (laughs) needed five she fell out (laughs) 
Anyway, but Ben Levitt, if you have, if you are not familiar with his work, you should go check him out online. What's your website? BenLevitt.com. Oh, Perfect. very easy. Very easy to remember. And uh, go be one of his 108 listeners on Spotify. <laughs> ben, it was so great having you on our show today. Um, I, I think you're a real class actor. I think you're a really great guy. I feel like, again, we just kind of got started here. Be nice to have Ben back. Will you come back, Ben? Uh, I will come back, yes. We want you back. I love that you said my 108 listeners on Spotify. <laughs> I'll bring 108 wait, wait, wait. of them. It's like 8 million or something. <laughs> but like It's a million, but 108 million. he really reached. They were really affected. That love him more than anything else. I just meant your soul <laughs> listeners. That's funny. <laughs> they will live so in the... get to me and it's like, wait, what? Hey, listen, <laughs> I probably have like 10, so... 10's uh, all you need. 10's yeah. all you need. 1's all you need, really. Yeah. Um, Thanks for being here, Ben. My pleasure. Um, and thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Head in a Box. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey. Or is there one? Or is there one? <laughs>